welcome to Cackle's Corner, the podcast where you can hear teachings by Marianne Halloran or Ellen Hogarty. Listen in now for this week's episode. This is the last in the series of teachings that I've been given. Uh, We've been going over the rules for discernment of spirits that St. Ignatius gives us in his spiritual exercises. And these are the 14 rules he gives us uh, pertaining to week one of the exercises. I've been also drawing on the teachings of Father Timothy Gallagher, who writes a lot about them. So if you remember last time I said that the last three rules that Ignatius gives us, 12, 13, and 14, he's trying to give us a clear picture of the enemy, what the enemy is like and how he works on us. So if you remember rule number 12, Ignatius says that the enemy is essentially weak, that the only strength that he has is if we fall for his temptations. But if we stand firm and remain strong, then he gets afraid of us. He says the best time or the key time to to resist a temptation is right in the beginning of it. The scripture that um, I shared with you is James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So that was rule 12. Now in rule 13, Ignatius is talking about how the devil likes us to keep quiet. He doesn't want us to tell anybody the struggles we're having. He doesn't want us to share with our spiritual director or with a priest whatever temptations or uh, suggestions that he gives us. He wants those kept in the dark. And Ignatius says that as soon as we have that temptation, oh, just keep keep this to yourself, we need to bring that into the light to tell our competent spiritual director about it or even a friend that we trust. Now tonight we're going to look at rule 14. And with these three rules, Ignatius gives us first a metaphor, something to explain what the devil is like, and then he applies it to us. First we're going to look at the metaphor of rule 14. Rule 14 says this, To use still another comparison, the enemy acts like a military commander who is attempting to conquer and plunder his objective. The captain and leader of an army on campaign sets up his camp, studies the strength and structure of a fortress, and then attacks at its weakest point. So the metaphor he's using that is he's trying to explain what the enemy is like is a captain of an army. And if you travel around Europe at all, and remember, um, that's where Ignatius was from, you see a lot of uh, fortresses or towns built up on a hill. They built their village or their town on the hill and then encircled it with a very thick wall. Because there was a lot of fighting going on and people trying to conquer each other's villages. But if they built up on a hill and surrounded it with a wall, that afforded them protection. Ignatius says that astute military captain that knew what he was doing would first camp out by this city, by this village, and then he would study it very carefully all the way around, looking for the weakest part, because that's where he was going to have his army attack, where the wall was the weakest. 
Where was it crumbling? Where would it be easiest for them to breach? It doesn't matter if a village had 10-foot walls all the way around. If part of that wall was weak, then the whole village was weak. Okay, everybody got the metaphor? Now St. Ignatius is going to apply it. So rule 14 continues. In the same way, the enemy of the human nature prowls around and from every side studies all our theological, cardinal, and moral virtues. Then, at the point where he finds us weakest and most in need in regard to our eternal salvation, there he attacks and tries to take us. The enemy watches us closely. It says, the enemy of the human nature prowls around and from every side studies all our virtues. Then, at the point where he finds us weakest, there he attacks and tries to take us. So he watches. He studies us. He's like a smart military captain. And he's trying to figure out where are you weakest. Because where you personally are the weakest, that's where he's going to try to get you. So he looks at our prayer. He looks at our virtues, our involvement in church or ministry. He looks at our speech, how we talk, the choices that we make, the morals or the lack of morals that we have. And he's studying us, where is this person the weakest? Because that's where he's going to attack us. Now, if we think St. Ignatius has uh, just got an overactive imagination, and maybe he's just trying to scare us, let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8 in the Bible. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says this, Discipline yourselves, keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. So we have an enemy, and he doesn't sleep, and he studies us. We might think we're kidding or fooling other people. Maybe we look good on the outside, but he's watching and looking for where we're weak. And if the enemy knows our weaknesses, then we better know them too. There's an old saying in the spiritual life. It says, know thyself. Remember that walled city, that fortress on the hill? If the people in the fortress know where the weak spots are, they can reinforce that when the, army, the opposing army is coming. They can put more soldiers there. But they have to know where those spots are. People tend to know where their physical limitations are. I'll give you a couple examples. My mom has very fair skin, and she's lived in Hawaii for about 60 years. And they lived there before the sunscreen was invented. So my mom got sunburned a lot in her years. And as a result of that, she got, she's had a lot of skin cancers. So she knows that limitation, that weakness in her she's had to take precautions. She's had to stop going out in the sun. She used to uh, paint out. She's an artist and she used to paint outside a lot. But now she only paints inside from photographs. And she goes to the dermatologist every four months at least. She knows her physical infirmity and she takes precautions. Another example. I have a friend who has weak teeth. 
His teeth are soft, so they chip easily. And if there's ever like a rock that gets in the beans, that's very dangerous to him because if he bites down, then he's in danger of losing part of his tooth. He's aware of this weakness and he takes precaution. So we learn pretty quickly what our physical limitations are and we adjust our behavior according to our physical limitations. But do we know our moral and our spiritual limitations? Do we know where we get tempted? Sadly, a lot of people know their physical limitations way more than they do their spiritual ones. And a huge part of the spiritual battle is to know ourselves. Because if we know where we're weak, we can take extra precautions there. And we can get help from a good spiritual director, a good confessor, and good spiritual routines. So how do we know where we are weak? I'm going to give you three hints. It's not the only way to know where we're weak, but these areas will help us to kind of zero in on some of our limitations. The first key to where we're weak, repeatedly confess sins. What sins do you find yourself repeating over and over every time you go to confession? Do you get tired of saying them to over and over again? Okay, that's a good hint. That's where the wall is weak. You give yourself the hint by what you confess. If you find yourself repeating a sin over and over again, say, that's a weak part in my wall. Next suggestion. How do we hurt people? Are there ways that we have hurt people more than a few times? Maybe we've lost our temper, gotten impatient with them. Maybe our tongue is sharp and we say unkind things. Or maybe we don't listen to people well or we ignore people. We just have to think back and say, the times that I've hurt people and they've told me about it, that might be an indication where I have a weakness. Another way that we might know, where does your conscience bother you? You do something and then you feel uneasy or agitated about it. You're not at peace. Okay, that could be a good indication. That's a weakness we have to watch out for. These are just a few ways that we might be able to know that ourselves better. We talked about people with their physical limitations and they put safeguards, like staying out of the sun or being careful of the food. And we have to say, okay, what are some of the safeguards I need to put into place for my moral and my spiritual life? If you have high blood pressure... Most people take high blood pressure very seriously, and they should. You know, you take your medicine, you watch your diet, you monitor your blood pressure. Why do people do that? Well, if you have high blood pressure that's not controlled, you're in danger of having a stroke or a heart attack. It's very serious, and people take it, usually people take it seriously. But what about our moral debilities? Do we take those as seriously as if we had high blood pressure? Satan's not playing around. His goal is to devour us and drag us to hell. And he's serious about it. Now, we might not be serious about it, but that doesn't matter to him. He wants as many people as he can to live with him 
So if a person has trouble with lust or pornography, they need to take that as seriously as if they had high blood pressure and put safeguards there to guard their eyes at what they look at or get somebody that you're accountable to for your internet use. If you have trouble telling the truth and your weakness is lying, you need to take that seriously and put safeguards in place. Study scripture about why it's so important to tell the truth or share your uh, struggle with your confessor. But any area of weakness that we have, we can put safeguards there. Because Ignatius is saying the enemy is going to attack us in those areas. It could be laziness that we have, uh, rebellion, uh, unforgiveness, holding grudges. Wherever our wall is weak, that's where he's going to attack us. And the stakes are high. The enemy doesn't give up. And he's trying to get us, he's trying to attack our vocations. He's trying to destroy our families. And if we're not guarding that wall around us, then we're very vulnerable. God is with us. And he gives us a lot of grace and tools so that we can be strong in the face of the enemy. But we have to do our part. One person who did this very well is uh, Venerable Matt Talbot. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Matt Talbot. His cause for sainthood has been opened. And Matt was born in Ireland. He was part of a big family. I think there were 11 children. And he only went to school, got like a first or second grade education. And then he had to go to work. When he was 12 years old, he got a job with wine merchants selling wine. He was a messenger for them. And by the time he was 13, he was a raging alcoholic. And he, he drank heavily and uh, was alcoholic till he was 28 years old. He used to get his paycheck, go to a pub, and stay there drinking until his money ran out. That's what he did with his life. One, time, one day when he was 28 years old, he was completely out of money, but he was craving a drink. So he stood outside the pub waiting to see if one of his friends would have pity on him, Se buy him a drink. Nobody stopped and offered him a drink. And maybe it was out of compassion for him, we don't know. Something happened in Matt that moment. And he went home to his mom and he told her, I'm taking the pledge. And that meant to uh, commit to not drinking for three months. And she told him, don't take the pledge unless you mean it. Because to her, that was a promise to God that he would be making. He took a pledge for three months. And when that finished, he made another one for six months. And then for a year. And then for the rest of his life. He never touched alcohol again. For the first seven years, he said it was brutal. His body craved alcohol, and it was a constant struggle. Matt knew that was his vulnerable spot, his weak spot in the wall. He knew that it would be his undoing if he ever touched alcohol again. So he took serious action. Before he went to work every morning, he'd go to the church even before the church was open. And he'd be outside on the steps when the priest opened the door and he'd go into church to pray. And he went to Mass and then he went to work. As soon as work was over, he'd go back to church. They said he kept his head down and he wouldn't look right or left. He'd just keep his head down and go to church. Why did he do that? guarding against the temptations to go to the bar. And he would stay in church until it closed. 
He knew he couldn't deny his body alcohol if he indulged it with other things. So he lived a life of penance. In fact, that's what happened when he died and they, they uh, took his clothes to prepare his body. They found that he wore chain and rope around him for penance. So what's the lesson here? Matt knew what his weakness was and he took serious action against it. And it's made, made him a saint. So we need to know where are we weak. And then we need to take some action to strengthen that part. We've just gone over the 14 rules of discernment. And you can see how these are a road map on the spiritual life. Ignatius gives us a lot of practical advice. It's very helpful. And it would be good to go over it and keep it fresh in our minds. God gave St. Ignatius a lot of wisdom. And he wants us to benefit by that wisdom. Which is why I've been taking a long time to go over these rules. I've found them very helpful in my life and I hope you will too. Amen. Amen. Would you please do us a favor and head over to iTunes to rate this podcast? It's the best way to get this material into the hands of those who need it the most. Thank you and God bless you.